Hi, I'm Damon Fairless, host of Hunting Warhead from CBC Podcasts and the Norwegian newspaper VG. Hunting Warhead follows a global team of police and journalists as they attempt to dismantle a massive network of predators on the dark web. Winner of the grand prize for best investigative reporting at the New York festivals and recommended by The Guardian, Vulture, and The Globe and Mail, you can find Hunting Warhead on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. We've been hearing a lot lately about a specific red food dye that's used in food. There's a petition to have the U.S. Food and Drug Administration ban the dye that caused cancer in rats. So this week we're asking, should I be worried about food dyes? Hi, Joe. Welcome to The Dose. Hi, thanks for having me. So what are your favorite natural food dyes? Well, I got to go with paprika. Uh, My background is Hungarian. And uh, as you probably know, uh, paprika is the national spice of Hungary. I cook a lot with paprika. I I enjoy its uh, beautiful red color. And uh, these days, of course, as manufacturers are, are trending towards natural colors, paprika enters that picture. So... That's what I look for when it comes to natural colors. Okay. Um, Before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it. Hi, uh, I'm Joe Schwartz. I'm a chemistry professor at McGill University in Montreal. But more than that, I direct McGill's Office for Science and Society. So I do that. I also have a radio show on chemistry, which is the longest running such show in the history of the world. It's been going on for 42 years now. And uh, I also um, write a newspaper column, and I've written 19 books. So that's what I do. That's what you do. You do a lot. Okay, let's let's begin our conversation. Let's uh, start really basic. What are food dyes, and more specifically, what are they made of? Well, there are two categories of food dyes. Uh, there are the natural dyes, uh, which, uh, like paprika, you know, occur in, in nature. Uh, chlorophyll, the green coloring matter of, of plants. Uh, curcumin, which is the yellow color in, in turmeric. Uh, so nature gives us a palette of, of a number of colors. However, those colors are, are difficult to deal with when incorporated into foods. They generally uh, don't stand up too well to light or to, to heat. Well, in 1856, William Henry Perkin in England, in a futile quest to synthesize a drug called quinine, made an accidental discovery. And that was the world's first synthetic dye. He named it mauve. And uh, that triggered uh, the chemical industry to produce a whole number of synthetic dyes uh, from coal tar, which is the substance that is left behind uh, when coal burns. Uh, And in the 1800s, they burned a lot of coal to produce coal gas for lighting. So there was a lot of coal tar left behind. And Perkin found that one compound in there called aniline could be converted uh, to a dye, and others followed suit. So we had a whole slew of synthetic dyes, dozens and dozens that were introduced into commerce by the turn of the century. And then in 1906, when the U.S. introduced the first uh, uh, Food and Drug Act, uh, some of these were removed because they already had a history of some problems uh, when uh, tested in in animals. But we are left today with a number of these uh, synthetic dyes. And... um, Interestingly enough, not exactly the same ones in Europe 
Canada and the U.S. There is some overlap, but there are also some some of these that are allowed in one country and not uh, not in the other. So those are the two classes. There are the natural dyes and there are the synthetic dyes. The industry loves to use the synthetic dyes because they are very potent. You don't need very much of them to color the food. And they also are very stable. So they stand up well to light and to, to heat. So they are the darlings of the industry, but not the darlings of consumer organizations uh, who um, see red <laughs> when red dyes are put into food uh, because of various issues that have arisen. That's that's a very good pun. Um, they are found uh, dyes are found in in a whole bunch of foods. Um, am I right? Absolutely. I mean, they are pervasive, and uh, mostly we find them in highly processed foods. And you know, you'll find them in cereals that are targeting children. And then, of course, we have candies. M&Ms are a classic where you have a whole range of, of colors. You look at jams, uh, some of them will have coloring. You look at some yogurts, they'll be coloring. So food coloring is, is used in a, a very, very large variety of, uh, of foods. And are they mainly added uh, to make them attractive uh, to consumers? Absolutely. I mean, the, the only reason is cosmetic. Uh, food dyes do not add any nutritional value to the food at all. Uh, they are basically eye candy. But studies have shown that people like their food to be colored. When a color is removed, uh, very often <laughs> consumers uh, gravitate away from that product. You may remember that at one time, uh, the cola companies came out with clear cola because the, the coloring in cola beverages is actually due to caramel, which is the most widely used uh, food coloring. And uh, about 90% of all food coloring that is used uh, in North America is, is caramel. So anyway, uh, when there was all the controversy starting about food dyes, the cola companies removed the caramel coloring and they came up with clear uh, colas. People didn't want clear colas. They didn't buy them. Hmm. They wanted their colas to be dark brown. So the color was put back in. So, uh, you know, people get used to having foods of, uh, of specific uh, colors. Uh, so you've already said that they don't add, the synthetic food dyes don't add to the nutritional content of the food. Do they change the flavor of the food? No, they don't change the flavor uh, because they're generally used in very, very small amounts not enough to impart any kind of uh, flavor. So, like I said, nutritionally, they are inconsequential, but they make the food more appealing. So what do we know about the health effects of food dyes? Well, actually, a, a fair bit. The uh, first time that we began to, to hear controversies about these dyes was in the 1970s, when an allergist uh, by the name of Benjamin Feingold uh, suggested that... Um, Foods that have dyes in them cause behavioral problems in children, that they exacerbate hyperactivity. And he suggested that uh, children who are afflicted by this stay away from foods that uh, have certain additives, particularly the food dyes. And this was then deemed the Feingold diet. And uh, a lot of mothers who had uh, children with behavioral problems jumped on that bandwagon. And some claimed tremendous improvement. 
And uh, <clears throat> the industry, of course, said that uh, you know this this was all uh, through perception that the the parents were wishing so much that their kids improved that they actually you know saw improvement where there wasn't any. So anyway, there was some controversy, but since that time, <clears throat> there have been a number of studies that have um, linked food dyes with behavioral issues in children. <clears throat> the one that has received a the most publicity was carried out by researchers at the University of Southampton in England, where they tested six dyes, which came to be called the Southampton Six. And what they discovered was indeed in controlled double-blind studies, parents and, and the teachers were asked to, to evaluate their behavior. Children's, the children also underwent some computer tests to, to measure behavior. And uh, the end result was that uh, uh, there was uh, an effect that the food dyes did, in fact, uh, influence uh, behavior. Now, these uh, Southampton Six, as they, they were called, were not all uh, dyes that were in use in North America. For example, three of the six, carmosine, ponso for RN, quinoline, and yellow, never were used in North America. Uh, the other three, Sunset Yellow, Tartrazine, and Allura Red, uh, were were used. So anyway, in, in Europe, there was a big commotion about this, and manufacturers, because uh, of the publicity, uh, started to remove these dyes from the food. And then the uh, European Safety Association even introduced a regulation, uh, not that the dyes had to be removed, but it, if they were still in the food, there had to be a warning on the label saying that they had been linked with behavioral problems. So, of course, companies didn't want that label, so they tended to remove the, um, the dyes. In uh, North America, action wasn't taken quite so quickly, uh, but uh, here too, when consumer organizations started to, to get into, in, into the mix, uh, many manufacturers took the bull by the horns, as it were, and uh, started to remove the synthetic dyes in favor of, uh, of natural ones. So uh, we have um, interesting situations here in North America uh, where, uh, for example, Canada, where we have Smarties, which are, are very similar to M&Ms, and uh, they have eliminated all synthetic colors whereas M&Ms still have the synthetic colors in there. Uh, so there are a number of synthetic dyes that are allowed in both in Canada and North America. Uh, some manufacturers choose to use them, some uh, choose not to use them. Uh, there are controversies. And red dye number two is the one that really raised the, the red flag back in the 1970s. Uh, it was widely used in, in uh, North America. But a couple of Russian studies uh, suggested that it caused cancer in rats. So uh, the uh, Americans said, gee, you know, the Russians must know something about red. And they decided to eliminate red dye number two. Canadian manufacturers stopped using it as well, although it is still on the books. It is still legal in, in, in Canada. But the U.S. eliminated red dye number two. But the, the one that CSPI now has really targeted is red dye number three, and that's the one that uh, is the focus of the petition that you, you, you mentioned. And this is a, a curious sort of a story. 
because studies have shown that when rats fed very high doses, much higher doses than any human would ever be exposed to, uh, did um, it did trigger thyroid cancer in those uh, in those rats? Now, based upon that, it was removed from cosmetics. So the FDA banned the use of red dye number three in cosmetics, but not in food. And this is why I say it is a bizarre situation, because the cosmetic regulations are different from the food regulations. So we'll see how the FDA responds uh, to this. But what do you think? Do you think that Red 3 is safe enough to consume in small amounts? I think it probably is safe. But nevertheless, I'm in favor of eliminating uh, dyes from foods uh, for the simple reason that they do nothing, as I said, but impart an appearance. They are only of cosmetic value. And furthermore, they are usually found in foods that are poor nutritionally anyway. And uh, that's a good enough reason, you know, to, to avoid foods that, that are highly colored, because those are not the kind of foods that we should be eating anyway. Hi, I'm Michelle Shepard, host of Uncover Charmini from CBC Podcasts. In 1999, 15-year-old Charmini Anandeville disappeared on her way to a job that police believed didn't exist. Four months later, her remains were found in a wooded ravine. I revisit the case that has stayed with me for over 20 years, ever since I first covered it as a cub crime reporter for the Toronto Star. You can find Uncover Charmini on CBC Listen or on your favorite podcast app. I want to switch to another dye. There was a recent study uh, done on mice only that found that the food dye Allura Red can potentially trigger inflammatory bowel diseases. What do you know about that? Yes, Allura Red is is uh, Red Night number 40, which is the dye that I've mentioned, is, is the one that is used, for example, in red M&Ms, and, and it's one of the most widely used red dyes. Now, the study that you're referring to was done in mice. And uh, when it comes to toxicology, you know, it's always appropriate to point out that that humans are not giant mice or giant rats, although there are some exceptions to the giant rat. <laughs> uh, but but uh, it is always difficult to take a mouse study and determine what it means for humans. On the other hand, it is a springboard for further studies because you've got to start somewhere. Now, in the question in the in the study that you're talking about about Allura Red or Red Dye Number Forty in mice, uh, there was a link to colitis, which is um, an inflammatory disease of the bowel. Uh, nobody really knows what causes colitis. There are theories that it might be an imbalance of gut bacteria. Uh, there is possibly a genetic component, but in this particular case, they exposed mice to uh, Allura Red. Uh, to see what would happen. Well, when they exposed them in an intermittent fashion, uh, that is irregular, you know, they would sometimes put in the diet, sometimes not, as uh, I think uh, would be uh, parallel to what humans would do. I mean, you know, not everything we eat has dyes, so it would be sort of intermittent. Then they found that that there was no link to, to colitis. However, uh, when it was given to the mice on a regular basis, um, especially if uh, uh, it was given to them when the mice were very young, then that uh, was associated with colitis. So what what does this really mean? Uh, it means that it is worth 
exploring this further. Uh, and of, of, of course, if someone suffers from colitis, there's absolutely no risk in, in trying to avoid red dye number 40 or other food dyes. I think that's a logical thing to do. But we cannot conclude based on this uh, study with mice that the same thing will happen in, in, in humans. So it uh, really doesn't mean much more than to say, hey, you know, this is something to be followed up, something to be looked at uh, at further. Let's turn to another uh, another color, sunset yellow. How about that one? Well, sunset yellow is, again, it's a very popular color. It's also known as yellow number six. And um, this is uh, allowed in, in both Canada and, and the U.S. Aside from some rare allergic reactions, there doesn't seem to be much problem with this. But the allergic reaction may be a bit difficult to... Uh, to link because it can be gastric. And normally when we think of an allergic reaction, you, you think of a, a rash or an itch, uh, not uh, gastrointestinal problems. But there have been uh, uh, some reports of people who have very significantly linked uh, pain in the stomach, those gastric problems to, to uh, sunset yellow. And when I say that they have linked this, uh, you know, uh, significantly, it is because when they have removed uh, it from their diet, the the pain uh, ceased, and they put it back in the diet, and they got the the pain again. So uh, once more, if if uh, someone is uh, experiencing uh, pain that has not been diagnosed, intestinal pain, uh, then you start thinking, what may be causing it? Can it be something in the food supply? And there, uh, Sunset Yellow would be a candidate. But um, the, the reports have been very few. And uh, because Sunset Yellow is, is very widely used, uh, you would think that if there was a, a highly significant link to, to gastric problems, we would have heard more about it. But, you know, there, there still is, you know, of a bit of a red flag over Sunset Yellow. Since there's been so much talk about cancer, I mean, is, is that an ever-present concern? Is that something that, that troubles you a lot? Well, there, there just is no human evidence for that. Uh, as I said, the, the concern about cancer comes from animal uh, studies, uh, but those are cases where the animals have been fed just gigantic doses, which is, you know, a standard way to carry out experiments because one has to assume that giving a large dose to an animal over a short term, which we're you know, destined to, to do because mice and rats don't live very long, uh, that that uh, gives us indication of what might happen when humans are exposed over a longer period to smaller amounts. And there, there is no study in humans that has shown cancer you know, linked to, to food dyes. So it all comes from uh, animal uh, studies. So bottom line, should people be worried about food dyes? I think so. I, I think maybe concern is a better word than, than worry. But I mean, you know, my main argument here is that by avoiding foods that have food dyes, you will automatically making your diet better because you will be avoiding foods that are generally high in fat, high in sugar, and high in salt. That's, that's enough of a motivation 
to uh, be circumspect about foods that that are diet. And so I guess bottom line is that you should be looking uh, to avoid foods that are overly processed and foods that have and and certainly read the label. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we see more and more studies coming out about the devilish nature of processed foods. <laughs> Uh, if a food is colored, it has to be listed on, on the label. If it is just natural colorings, you can just list natural colorings. You don't have to say what, what they are. So you can very easily check labels, and you'll see that color is added. And then if you further scrutinize that label, you will also see that there generally tends to be a higher amount of sugar, higher amount of salt, and higher amount of fat. Okay. Uh, eat healthier, avoid heavily processed foods, and read the label. That's all good advice. Joe Schwartz, thank you so much for appearing on The Dose and, and bringing some clarity to this subject. Thanks very much. Joe Schwartz is a professor of chemistry and director of McGill University's Office for Science and Society. Here's your dose of smart advice. Broadly speaking, there are two kinds of dyes found in foods. Natural dyes include paprika and chlorophyll. These are safe to consume. Synthetic dyes have been around since the mid-19th century. They're found in highly processed foods such as breakfast cereals, candies, and processed luncheon meats. Food manufacturers put them there to make foods more appealing to the eye. They have no nutritional value. In the 1970s, a number of studies first linked food dyes to hyperactivity in children and food manufacturers voluntarily removed the dyes in question. Also in the 70s, manufacturers voluntarily removed red dye number two after reports that the dye caused cancer in mice. Red dye number 40 was also removed voluntarily because of reports that the food dye was sometimes contaminated with a cancer-causing chemical. Studies have also shown that red dye number three in high doses has been linked to thyroid cancer in animals. Although that food coloring was banned in cosmetics by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration more than 30 years ago, it's still approved as a food additive. There is a current petition to the FDA to also ban red dye number three in foods. In Canada, red dye number three, also known as erythrocene, continues to enjoy Health Canada approval for use in food products. There is no strong evidence linking synthetic food dyes to cancer in people, in part because it would take very large doses of dye to uncover a link. Allura, or red dye number 40, has been shown to trigger colitis in mice, but researchers need to do additional studies to see if colitis occurs in humans. Sunset yellow dye number 6 has been linked to rare cases of abdominal pain caused by an allergic reaction in the gastrointestinal tract. Overall, synthetic dyes should trigger concern, but not excessive worry. You can avoid synthetic dyes in your diet by staying away from highly processed foods. Always read food labels. If the food in question contains synthetic chemicals, they must be listed clearly on the label. Since highly processed foods have higher amounts of sugars and fats, eliminating those foods will improve your diet overall. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Stephanie Dubois. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.